Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Harley Street Health podcast. And today I am delighted to have Dr. Daniel Y, who's an endocrinologist in Mount Elizabeth Medical Center. He's got a clinic on, on level three here. And I thought today we'd talk about um, diabetes and go through the basics of, of what it is. Um, so hello, Daniel. Hi, Michael. How are, are you? you? Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Great, thanks. <laughs> so we're just going to have a short dialogue, Daniel, about diabetes and pick your brains a little bit about um, the kind of common, you know, how, how it starts, how it presents. So why don't we go and start really at the basics. So what is diabetes? Well, as everybody knows, diabetes is having high blood sugar. There, is, there, there are two types of diabetes. There's type 1 diabetes, which happens 5% of the time, which generally occur in children and teenagers, and where there's destruction of the pancreas, the cells that make the insulin. And then those, those patients, unfortunately, with type 1 diabetes, would require lifelong insulin replacement injection for their life. And then the more, much more common is the type 2 diabetes, and that's the 95% of all the diabetes in Singapore. And that is the one that has been going up and up, the prevalence of diabetes getting more and more. And so what happens when we normally, when we eat, our body will absorb, we digest the, the, the carbohydrates like rice, noodles, and then the sugar, and then we'll digest it and, uh, into simple sugars, and then we'll absorb that into our bloodstream. So our blood sugar goes up, and then our pancreas will make insulin that brings that sugar down. Now, if that mechanism fails and there's um, lack of insulin for whatever reason, then the blood sugar will not be able to come down, uh, whether in the fasting state, throughout the night, the sugar is, is just high. And then especially after meals, um, the pan pancreas is unable to make enough insulin to push the sugar into the, into the cells. And then you have a situation when the blood sugar is high but inside the cells, we don't have enough blood sugar. So the patients behave as though they have not enough sugar and they would crave, especially for the sweetest food with okay. the highest level of sugar. And then the sugar is running very high in the blood and is therefore lost in the urine. So that also explains some of the symptoms a patient with type 2 diabetes may have. So that includes fatigue, being very tired, lack of energy and then they'll find that they have um, uh, need to uh, pass urine frequently because th there's a lot of sugar that drags your, uh, water out into the urine and because they lose water they, they also exhibit this thirst and they become very thirsty and not okay. only they're thirsty they also crave for the sweetest you know possible drink so tiredness and then because the cells cannot make use of the sugars they also lose weight Okay. So that's in the gist what diabetes is. So, so basically, they've got lots and lots of sugar in the blood, uh, but very little in the cells. So Exactly. Um, yeah, so, and then they crave, they crave all the sugar, so they start getting higher and higher in blood sugars. Um, exactly. So, so what, what is happening at the moment? Why are people getting more diabetes? What's, what's the real driver behind that, do you think? Well, the main driver is that we are getting older as a population in Singapore yeah. is getting older. Um, age seems to be one of the main factors that would cause the pancreas to slowly fail. Like when we age, the organs fail slowly but steadily. So that is one of the things. The other thing that's very important is the lack of exercise. It's a very sedentary lifestyle. And we have research done in the National University of Singapore. And what they found was that uh, the total amount of energy that's spent by Singaporeans has been dropping 
over the past three decades. Really? And that's despite people, yeah, that's despite people exercising more and more. If I go really? and exercise, wow. yeah, ex if I go and exercise uh, half an hour a day and five days a week, which is what we recommend, I think that, wow, I've been doing quite a good job, 150 minutes, but the rest of the time, I'm sitting in this office seeing patients and that's really yeah, so a true. bad lifestyle. <laughs> and then I go to my car and I drive home and I sit on my sofa and watch TV. And, and that, that's unfortunately the lifestyle of a lot of people who are uh, basically um, in, in any kind of office scenario. And furthermore, now we are in the COVID-19 situation. A lot of people are working from home. That further decrease the amount of walking, amount of exercise that we do at all. So the other thing, of course, the third thing is that food used to be quite expensive. 40, 50 years ago, when Singapore was still, you know, sort of uh, poorer, when we were poorer, we food expenditure accounts for a large portion of the salary of the person. And now, you know, it's decreasing like in all developed countries. So um, maybe we, I don't know, spend five to 10, 15% of our salary on. So when food is cheap, we'll eat more of them. I mean, how much I is a in particular, mass, mass. When, when bad food is cheap. So processed yeah. food, so cheap. Yeah, yes. It's a good quality food. Yeah. Whereas, Whereas actually uh, food with good nutrition has not really decreased that much in price, but fast food, uh, cheap food um, are, are, are just getting so cheap that uh, we, we consume more of that. In yeah. a sense that I can easily ha order an extra packet of rice, which cost me 50 cents to a dollar. But that amount of rice, I would need to run for an hour just to burn it off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so I, mean, I read this interesting statistic that said that um, the rate of diabetes in China had gone up just in the last 20, 30, 40 years from like 1% prevalence to up to 11% prevalence. And that is a crazy statistic. And I mean, it's, it's clearly multifactorial, but I think you've hit the nail on the head with the fact it's a change, complete change in lifestyles from being sedentary and then kind of focusing on cheaper, uh, faster foods. And we've shifted away from a kind of whole food diet as well. So, so when somebody gets diabetes, I mean, what, so if I'm at home and I'm, maybe I'm getting a bit thirsty, what, what other signs should I look for? What, how would I know that I've got diabetes? A lot of patients have no symptoms, about 50% of people, half of them. Um, for, especially for the, for the patients who, who have much higher levels of blood sugar, they will present with tightness because the sugar is not getting into the cells. They will present with um, frequent urination because the high sugar drags, forces the kidneys to pass out a lot of urine to pass out the sugar. And then because they lose sugar, they also feel thirst. And then because the cells are unable to process the sugar, they would also lose weight. So weight loss, thirst, frequent urination, and tightness, and especially this craving for, for, for sweet stuff. Yeah. Um, in very, very, very uh, serious cases, one gets into coma, um, acidosis, but those are very rare. Generally, people will have a bit of thirst. And sometimes some people would describe that they see ants in the toilet that is actually gobbling up the, the, the urine. And, and that, is, um, that is sometimes seen when there's unrecognized diabetes. Really? Okay. And so, when, so if someone thinks they've got these symptoms, they should just go to the doctor and get a blood test. Uh, or if, what's the, the common test? Fasting blood glucose, is that enough? Or do they need a tolerance test? Yeah. So the gold standard of um, diagnosing diabetes is 
a blood test, which is either fasting blood sugar that is more than 7.0 millimoles per liter, hmm. and symptoms. So if you have symptoms, you need only one test to confirm the diagnosis of diabetes. If I have no symptoms at all, at all then I will need to have two blood tests to prove that I indeed have diabetes. Um, that picks up most of the people with diabetes. Um, sometimes, as in people with, uh, who are pregnant, ladies who are pregnant and we're trying to pick up uh, gestational diabetes, sometimes we do oral glucose tolerance test. So sometimes we feed 75 grams of sugar. So we do a blood fasting sugar before and then feed the, the patient 75 grams of sugar. And then in two hours time, we check the level of blood sugar again. And so if the two hour level is more than 11.1 millimoles per liter, that also constitutes diabetes. So symptoms plus one blood test or two uh, blood tests uh, roughly two weeks apart. So that constitutes diabetes. The okay. Singapore uh, Ministry of Health has also re recently recognized the use of HbA1c as not only a monitoring tool, but also a tool for diagnosis. So HbA1c is this hemoglobin particle that has sugar stuck to it. Hemoglobin particles are the red coloring pigments that are in a red blood cell that carries oxygen. And so when there's blood sugar, high blood sugar in the blood, those sugars would get stuck to everything, including the red blood cells into the hemoglobin at this particular position called A1C. So normally, there should not be more than 6% of the hemoglobin particles being having a sugar uh, molecule attached to it. In people with diabetes, more than 6.5% of those hemoglobin particles would have sugar st uh, stuck to it. So um, we, we can take the fasting, we can take the two hours, we can take the H1C plus symptoms or two sets of blood tests without okay. symptoms. I heard there was some, is there an issue with thalassemias and HbA1c? Does that alter the, the ability to detect diabetes? It uh, used to be, but okay. now our laboratories are very good. We use HPCL, which is a very good kind of, uh, we identify, so we can actually very safely eliminate those abnormal hemoglobin okay. bands and we just look at you know, those A1C. So uh, whether your hemoglobin is here or hemoglobin is there, we can still look at the, 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 just the, the peaks. So right. now it's much more advanced and the manufacturers of the laboratory equipment told us that, well, now you don't need to worry about thalassemia anymore. So it's much less. So it's not an issue, <laughs> it's not an issue anymore. Yeah. And so, yeah. so if you have diabetes, you know, this is the big thing is, what, why is it so bad to have diabetes? Oh, diabetes can cause those symptoms when, there's, when, they, when, they are, when the diabetes is uncontrolled. But long term, it, it causes many different kinds of side effects or uh, complications. So we generally group them into the macro versus the micro. The macro are the things that like people with diabetes have high risk of heart disease yeah. and stroke and sudden death. And then, so those are important to prevent. Then the other uh, micro are the problem when the when the high, the high sugar level damages the small organs like small blood vessels small nerves so it, in the eyes it can cause bleeding blindness uh, diabetics have increased risk of glaucoma cataracts and then also the kidneys and first the high sugar would damage the glomerulus the small functioning units of the kidneys and then causing leakage of protein so we always check the urine for microalbumin levels and then subsequently the kidneys start to fail and diabetes has become the number one cause of newly diagnosed end-stage kidney failure regarding dialysis in Singapore. And the third thing is that sometimes the diabetes damages the nerves and the blood vessels in the, in the feet. And if the feet get infected, 
sometimes, you know, despite, you know, sort of treatment with antibiotics and all that, amputation is a real risk. So to prevent all these complications, the most, most important thing is for us to control the diabetes well. And I usually tell my patient this, if you can, you can control the diabetes well, then you won't develop complica complications. And all these efforts that you've sort of made throughout the years, controlling the, 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 the food, uh, avoiding the sweet things like soda drinks, bubble teas, desserts and all that, um, is, it's going to be worth it because you're going to live you know, your life to 90, yeah. 100 years. You're, you're going to have a much better quality of life when you're older. I mean, what we do, I mean, in everything we do, a lot of, our, a lot of the, the heart conditions we deal with are driven by diabetes. And, you know, a little bit more prevention earlier on in life can often prevent all these, these bad things like strokes and heart attacks and heart failure that we see. Um, so, I mean, moving on to that, I mean, if some, for, the, for everyone in the public, how can they prevent diabetes and, you know, how can they protect themselves? What are the kind of key factors that they can change in their lifestyle to prevent the development of this, this disease? Well, we would always emphasize the importance of exercise. Mm. And the gold standard would be 150 minutes of exercise every week. Mm. And um, so it works out to be about, if you exercise 30 minutes a day, it's five days a week. And what kind of exercise does it, does, does it matter? Uh, well, a study has been done and, and, and we've made it to, managed to find that if you do a bit of cardio versus, and you also do a bit of weights training, that gives the best results. So probably if you have only half an hour to spare, half the time you should be doing cardio and the other half should be doing some weights training because muscle mass is important. Muscle, an increase in muscle mass, muscle bulk would enable the muscles to take up more sugar. So lowering the general blood sugar level. So that's number one. Number two is to eat a healthy diet, avoid simple sugar. So sodas, any sweetened drink. I noticed that when in my own family gathering, um, if you're going to have a family dinner, we, we, we used to buy these pet bottles of sweetened green tea. And I calculated we, I must have drunk like five cups throughout the night. And I was calculating the sugar, and that's quite a lot. And then we have durian. So certain fruits we should avoid, especially durian. Yeah. Because durian is so sweet, the equivalent amount of fruit sugar in one apple or one orange is equal to half a mango but only one durian seed, the flesh of the durian seed. Wow. But of course, when I buy durian, I, you know, I, I don't know whether, Michael, whether you've tried durian. It's really yeah, I've nice. I've tried it. I'm not a big but... fan. I'll, I'll admit that. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> yeah. So, but I can easily eat six or eight, you know, so at one go. So, so, that, that, so those, those are the sweet things. A lot that we, of sugar. And because, because I like it, because it is so bad to me, I force myself to buy only the best quality of durian once a year. Yeah. So just once a year. And I'm not going to sort of take too much of it. And then, of course, if we can order tea with milk without sugar, coffee with milk without sugar, and uh, avoid soda drinks, and drink the green tea that is unsweetened, etc., etc., that would actually cut down a lot of sugar from our diet already. Yeah. So, so avoidance of simple sugar is, is very, very important. And beyond that, sleeping early and sleeping mm. enough is very yeah. important. We find that people who work night shifts, uh, people like us maybe, uh, who has to wake up in the middle of the night or who, 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 who don't have enough sleep would have a higher risk of diabetes, heart disease, stroke and sudden death as well. So uh, sleep, so play hard, work hard, sleep hard. 
Yeah. <laughs> and that was anecdotally, Daniel, when I don't sleep, and if I, if I find myself having only five, six hours sleep one night, the next day I crave carbohydrates. I can't stop myself. I'll be eating cake and sugary drinks. And so it definitely has an impact. Sleep definitely has an impact. And I think in Singapore in particular, people do not get enough sleep here. They, they really exactly. they run on six hours sleep a night. It's, you know, it's, a, it's a habit that you need to change. Sometimes so, I tell my patients that we, they, they should really leave their smartphones, smart devices in the living room, and then they yeah. just go to, don't bring them into the bed. Yeah. It's that blue light, isn't it? If you, watch, if you use the blue light before bed, it kind of interrupts your ability to go to sleep. Um, it's something to do with the hormones, yeah. So the blue lights will suppress the sleep hormone melatonin. So therefore, uh, we don't feel as sleepy. So as long as we are looking at the phone, we don't feel sleep, but actually we are very tired already. A much better alternative is a good old paper book. And I guarantee yeah. you that two pages into a book, you will just feel so sleepy and you feel sleepy. A paper book and a normal, a, a normal alarm clock that doesn't involve yeah, your normal phone. Alarm standard alarm clock. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Um, there's one question I had. So when, you, so when you've got a new patient with diabetes, how do you decide if they're type 1 or type 2? Oh, uh, people with type 1 diabetes usually present in a very dramatic fashion. Mm. So the, usually the damage is sudden and they'll have a sudden loss of the ability to make uh, insulin and they'll get very sick. They usually present with ketosis, ketoacidosis, and they will end up with breath that smell, smell like acetone and then they are, they are very, very sick and they get, usually have fever, some kind of infection and they're children or teenagers. So they usually pick up in the emergency department and they should check the blood sugar is very high. So most of the time, we don't see that in the clinic. Most of the time, and anyway, type 1 diabetes is only 5% of all the diabetes yeah. in Singapore. So much more commonly, we see people with type 2 diabetes. As I mentioned, half the patients do not even have any symptoms. And then the, half, the other half may have mild symptoms. And sometimes we may attribute the thirst to weather, hot weather, Singapore being very hot, etc. So sometimes it is, it is it's really, most of the time it's really easy to tell apart the two. Yeah. Because younger, young patients that, that present acutely and they're quite unwell and more likely to be type one, type two, they yes. tend to be overweight, abdominal obesity, you know, visceral fat, that kind yeah. of thing. Okay. Yeah. People with type two diabetes are older, fatter. Patients yeah. with type one diabetes are normal weight and then they're young, much younger. So what do you, um, so let's just say people have been, probably reading the press about intermittent fasting and low carb diets. What do you recommend for your diabetics? What kind of diet do you recommend to control diabetes and also to prevent diabetes? Um, I think um, there are two. The two, I would sort of separate them a little bit. There's intermittent fasting by Dr. Daniel Fung, who is a Canadian nephrologist, who first uh, recommended fasting as a way to treat uh, diabetes. And he has pu since published some papers although the numbers are quite small, about five patients to 10 patients per paper. But what he found is that intermittent fasting is able to help control patient, patients' diabetes. But the caution is that sometimes they would go low sugar, hypoglycemia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So his advice is that if, you're going to embark, if you have diabetes and you're going to embark on an, an intermittent fasting diet, please tell your diabetes doctor and some adjustment of medication Pro is probably required, especially if you're doing it like a, a day off, day on, one day fasting, one day eating. If, especially if you're doing that, you might need to have different doses of medication 
on yeah. the different days that we're eating versus when you're there, you're not eating. Where, whereas when you're doing the 16-8 or 24, the kind of restricted time frame intermittent fasting, then the amount of change of medication may probably be less because you're still eating just in a more compressed time period. Nonetheless, please t- tell your doctor who's managing you if you're going to embark on a special diet. So that's intermittent fasting. And when it works, it's beautiful. And patients' diabetes get much better and the requirement for medication is reduced. In fact, it's so much so that sometimes they get low sugar. And then we have the other called low-carbohydrate diet. Low-carbohydrate diet has been much more studied. And the current status, at least according to American Diabetes Association, is that it is potentially a useful way to help patients control diabetes. So what happens is that um, you, we, we have three big food groups, which is carbohydrates, which is all the sugar and the starches like rice, noodles, potatoes, and all that. And then protein, like meat, tofu, and all. And then fat, which is everybody understands what fat is. So of the three, they recommend that you eat, take much less of the carbohydrates. So that has been more carefully studied. But nonetheless, I usually advise my patients, don't do the full ketogenic diet, which is advising okay. patients to eat a lot of fatty pork, a lot of fatty food, fatty yeah, beef, like fat everything, fat, low carbs, and yeah. add butter to the coffee, that kind of thing, because that would increase the, the, the cholesterol tremendously. I've seen patients yeah. ch- cholesterol, whose cholesterol increased by 50, 80%. I don't yeah, know whether, honestly, seen that, I've seen the same thing. Patients have gone keto and they have, yeah. not all of them, but some of them just their cholesterol has gone sky high. Almost, yeah. almost 80, 90% increases. Yeah. In, in fact, Dr. Atkins, who, who first um, propagated this diet, had warned that about in about 20% of his patients, mm. the level of cholesterol would increase quite alarmingly. And he's, yeah. he said, please check with the doctor. So I usually tell my patients that you, you please do not increase the amount of fat. Just eat normally. So it's like, mixed rice and vegetables but without the rice or less of the rice if you want to go for a low carbs diet um that has been shown in some smaller studies to 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 help improve because obviously if diabetes is a state that i cannot handle carbohydrates yeah. or sugar if i don't take those carbohydrates and sugar then i would not exhibit high blood sugar in fact that is how we used to help the patients with type 1 diabetes to to be kept alive before the invention of insulin so they're not allowed any heat drop of yeah, severe sugar restriction. Um, but low-carbs diet or intermittent fasting is not for everyone. It, they, they are diets that are particularly difficult to keep for Asian people mm. because we like to eat. And if I, if I go three days without rice, I generally have some problems. And, uh, <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm in Europe, we, 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 we always look for Asian restaurants to have some yeah. rice. So, so it, it may be very difficult. A lot of my patients uh, tell me that they can do it for a short while, but they can't do it for longer than six months. It's really hard because yeah. when they meet together, their mom or their friends have prepared this nice bowl of nasi lemak or noodles. And then you say, oh, I can't eat. I can only eat all the meat inside and everybody's going to throw stones at them. So it is very, very difficult. And it's, of course, slightly more expensive because the meat and, and the protein... Yeah. Yeah. Stuff are more expensive than the rice. Yeah. So, uh, but if you are able to keep at it, and if you do it sensibly, like you just sort of cut, remove and not add in any fat, I think 
um, at least you know in the studies and on, in some of my patients, it does help reduce the level of blood sugar. But it's not everybody's cup of tea. So kind of keeping it simple, removing uh, first step, I guess, is removing all the simple sugars from your diet, all the sugary drinks and sweets and cakes, and then you know reducing rice as well. Okay, Daniel, I yes. think we've um, we're probably up to our time limit now. Um, you got any short a kind of short summary of of diabetes? Our key, our key advice for people trying to avoid getting diabetes in the future? Well, the simplest thing is after you watch this podcast, go and have a run. Let's go <laughs> exercise. Yeah. I don't have a sugary yeah. drink afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's just water. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Daniel, that was, that, I really enjoyed that. Um, thank you very much for coming on today and, and talking about diabetes. Yeah. Thanks very much. Yep. Thank you, Mike. Bye bye.